Hello fellow imperfectionists and thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Picking at Perfection. Today I had the absolute pleasure of interviewing careers coach Charlotte Crabtree and on this episode we cover so much diverse content including imposter syndrome, being intentional, speaking with purpose as well as how to effectively speak up in meetings and at points it almost turns into a bit of a coaching session between Charlie and myself. Listening back, some of the advice and the feedback that she had for me, it it made me quite emotional. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation. In general, it just includes some great career and business advice for everyone. So I really hope you enjoy. pleased to welcome Charlotte Crabtree, career performance coach. Charlie helps the next generation of leaders stand out and get promoted and paid the wage that they deserve. But Charlie is not only boosting the CV, but also general happiness too, in the form of fulfillment and integrity. A very noble mission indeed. Welcome to the podcast, Charlie. Thank you so much. It is so lovely to be here. The pleasure is all mine, honestly. And to kick us off, as always, Charlie, would you like to give us your definition and experience with the word perfection? Oh, yes. <laughs> I I love that this is the first question and I have been thinking a lot about this um, in kind of the lead up to our conversation today. And I feel like perfection in a literal form exists so when you're talking about completing a checklist or doing a maths question or you know it's it's in a literal sense it is filling something up 100% it's 10 out of 10 it's ticking everything off on a scorecard it's filling up a space but in reality I don't believe it exists and I think you know every single person in the world is different even identical twins are different and the way that we experience things in life is different from everybody else. No two people will have the same perception of the same experience or situation. And I think it's really hard to find an example of anything really where everybody would agree that it's perfect when it comes to human experience. So for me, for me, when it comes to a definition of perfection in reality, it's about giving it 100%. If you get fully stuck in with what you're doing, if you fully embrace the experience and really give it 100% and then get 100% back from something, so really absorb what's going on around you, make the most of everything, you can't do more than that. So that must be perfection. I love that. That's a really good breakdown of, as you say, literal um, and actually in person as well. And I think you hit on a perfect point of that everyone is different. So everyone's having their own experience through life. No one is experiencing the same thing, not even identical twins. So there's never going to be a ground where we meet. Um, I, th- I think that's really, really a, sort of a profound definition when you say about getting like 10 out of 10 on a test. Do you think maybe that we're trying to apply sort of like linear things like, you know, obviously our education system, that would be very apt of, you know, getting 10 out of 10, getting an A, an A star, whatever kind of category you want to call it. Do you think maybe we try and apply those more linear fundamentals to maybe more abstract uh, areas of our life? Yeah, definitely. And it's funny as well, because I think we're always 
in competition with each other historically when we're children and even I was talking to somebody yesterday and she was talking about being put in the bottom set in her maths class at school we're always competing against each other and so it's almost like we are just looking for better we're we're searching for whatever that 10 out of 10 is but nobody actually knows. So is it being in the top set in maths? Is it getting all of the questions right? Is it being the most popular kid in school? So we're, we're, we're looking to apply this linear perfection, this achievement, by rating ourselves against other people. But other people are always rating themselves against us too. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> I think that really links to like comparison culture as well. So, yeah. I mean, I think sort of a big um, topic with, you know, mental health and things like that is not trying not to compare yourself um, with others. And we recognise that it is a mass problem almost that everyone is comparing, you know, their normal life to the life of a celebrity through, you know, means of social media. It's sort of yeah. a tale as old, of ta- as old as time at this moment. But then I think that's really interesting that you say, because when you look at society, we we have to compare ourselves. Like when you're in class, as you say, with the person you spoke to, they're already comparing themselves naturally at a very young age because they're in the bottom set. So it's a really difficult thing to program out of society, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for me, as long as you're enjoying things, I think it's Ali Abdul sort of talks about as long as you're sort of giving everything your best, then there's there's not more than you can do. And and that sounds quite simplistic in a way, but it is very true. And if you're enjoying it along the way, um, you know, then that's just extra bonus. Oh, right. And But I, for me, it's the other way around. If you're enjoying it along the way, that's what matters. And if you get 10 out of 10 at the end and a pat on the back, then that's the bonus. Definitely. We should almost be using our own scales of enjoyment versus actually what the external sort of confirmation is. Yeah. And if you think about perfection being a unique definition for everybody, if everybody's version of perfection is different, then how you feel about what you're doing and how much you're enjoying it and embracing it and what you're getting out of it surely should be the only scale that you're measuring yourself on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think one big area for me that that strikes me is where people would be comparing themselves, um, you know, kind of on Instagram at the moment, everyone seems to have a, a side hustle, starting mm. a business and things like that. So obviously, you, you've done that yourself, and you are very successful in what you do. So let's talk about that kind of journey. And first of all, what inspired you to embark on on your own business? For me, my career journey so far has been bumpy the events industry is hard it's hard work it's full-on and I think you know my experience is in events and in pharmaceuticals and in medical communications but I think this probably applies to most people in I guess what you would describe as as knowledge knowledge worker jobs office-based corporate jobs and you go into the workplace and you sell yourself in the interview and you do up your CV and you say, oh yeah, you know, I have these skills and I'm capable of this. And you really talk yourself up and then you kind of convince somebody that you're capable. And then they say, okay, great. Well, you know, come in and start on Monday and we'll pay you this much for it. And then you're kind of on your own. And there's such a learning curve in every experience that we actually have 
but yet we've almost gone through this journey of school and college university where we're learning, we're officially learning so that we can qualify to then do the job. And nobody tells you that actually when you do the job, you're still learning, you're still growing and developing and experiencing new things. And it's okay not to know everything. So for me and my journey, I really struggled with um, that kind of lack of support. And not to say that, you know, my colleagues and my managers weren't great. Some of them were, some of them weren't, obviously. But I never felt like I had that guidance and that directive of, you know, it's okay to ask questions. If you don't know, this is what you need to do. This is what we're aiming for. These are what we, this is what we expect of you. That kind of thing. And, you know, it can be difficult and it can be tough. And I spent a really long time making mistakes, being very imperfect and figuring things out. And it took me a long time. And eventually I realized that what I deserved more than the credit I was giving myself. And I decided to look at everything that I had achieved rather than everything I hadn't achieved and realized that what I was doing was good enough and that me as a person and an employee and a colleague and a manager the fact that I was trying was good enough and I think actually switching from needing to know everything and this is something Brene Brown talks about a lot is the difference between being right and getting it right and I think when you make that change from having to be the one that has all the answers and having to be the one that is the best and doesn't need any help to becoming somebody who is happy to learn and wants to grow and is keen to develop and wants to contribute makes such a big difference. So in a very roundabout answer to your question, (laughs) I just realised that there is more to life and more to our careers than having to struggle alone and I want to share that with as many people as possible because work is such a big part of our lives we spend Mm. so much time at work that if we're not enjoying it or we're beating ourselves up about how we've done or you know what we're what we're feeling about it it can be a pretty dark place to be and actually it can be something really amazing and we deserve for it to be something really amazing so the transition was really a realization that I wanted to make the world a better place. (laughs) (laughs) What better goal to have though? Like I think some listeners might think, you know, that sounds cheesy, but I think ultimately, you know, that's a great goal to have to just make an impact and and make a a better world for, you know, individuals or if not the world as a whole, I think that's excellent. And um, to your point about sort of, clearly your journey is very inspired um, by your attitude of kind of growth mindset and someone gave me a really good analogy of you know things like personal development when you say that you're almost on your own in employment sometimes um, but you sometimes see individuals such as probably yourself and myself 
turn to, you know, personal development reading, uh, courses, et cetera, et cetera. And someone told me that personal development is kind of almost um, as if you're a computer and that's your upgraded software, because mm. when you're in a job, you haven't necessarily arrived. You still need to learn things and you still need to continue that journey um, to develop as a, a leader, if it's a management position or, you know, just keep a top of what's happening, you know, worldwide, for example, everyone has had to have training on things like Zoom in order to mm -hmm. succeed in a business world. Uh, there's this kind of demand of technology is one area, but just being on top of everything that applies to your industry and your work. Yeah, absolutely. And I think to add to that, it's when you talk about, you know, acknowledging that personal development is important and it's it's kind of becoming a bit more of a thing, as it were, it really goes hand in hand with you know increased awareness of mental health and um, supporting each other and being kind and stuff like that and this whole movement is so positive for our society and I think that this is just one other branch of it that really ties in nicely like let's normalize bettering ourselves let's normalize prioritizing our well-being and making the most out of life really so um yeah, I think it's um it's a really exciting space to be in. Definitely. No, it sounds like it. And um, that links us in really nicely, actually, to talk about sort of how we met. So <laughs> insanely for the audience's reference, Charlie and I used to work together. So Charlie used to be my line manager in the events industry. Obviously, we have that in common. And when she managed me, she actually introduced me to my first sort of time management system, if you like. I'm sure you remember, Charlie. Oh, I remember. <laughs> so yeah. so and, and that totally proves your point as well in terms of you inspiring other people to, to learn and, and make their life better. Um, and almost, I guess, because I was managed by you, I possibly wasn't left um, to my own devices as much as others might be. But that was the first time I think I'd been employed by for three or four years by that point. Uh, it was the first time someone had sat me down and actually talked about how to manage time and how to just manage day-to-day -day tasks in an actual system um, and it was an excel sheet sort of half timesheet half to-do list but I still have those principles today of allocating time to tasks for easier delegation and, and management and all those kind of principles that you showed me oh well I'm really glad that it was useful um, <laughs> <laughs> um it's funny actually because that system was something that my previous manager had taught me when I was in an absolute state and I was at a point in my work day work week work month where I just I couldn't I couldn't get anything done I wasn't doing anything because there was so much to do and I think this is a real problem particularly in the events industry when we're just so busy all mm. the time and there's just a massive sense of overwhelm across the whole company um, and that tool really helped me and I just loved sharing it with you and I shared it with, I think I've shared it with pretty much everyone that I've managed now. I love that you've explained about that because it's this almost, um, I it's almost like become a family, like it's been passed down from generation to generation yeah. from your line manager to you. And because yeah. I have talked to my team about it as well, because it is such a principle that helps, as you say, 
Um, and I think I've talked about this with my episode with Rob, but the events industry is particularly tricky because it is, I think, the only industry that I can think of that has an ultimate deadline. You know, mm. if you're a software developer, you can, you know, at, at risk, obviously, of disappointing your customers, you can push out um, a launch. Things can be delayed, whereas an events industry has a hard stop of the event date. Your client is expecting that. There's no way to change it. Um, and I think that's what makes us all a little bit crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Some way to describe it <laughs> <laughs> in a good way <laughs> we love it we love it exactly yeah um and so i guess my next point was is there one system or principle you and your clients use but it sounds like you're sort of working on the same principles um based in that that sheet and that system yeah i mean when it comes to my clients they don't all necessarily need support with time management i've definitely used it with all of my line reports over the years um and I know when we were when we were chatting before we started recording you've mentioned that um it can be a little bit sort of restrictive when somebody gives you a system that you need to work on and stuff like that Mm -hmm. but I think when you're in the position where there's just too much going on and you're not in control it's something that gives you that control back and it gives you visibility of what you're doing so that you can get stuff done. But it also gives you something to support yourself with if you want to turn around and say, actually, no, I can't do this. And I think that's something that a lot of people do really struggle with, my clients included, is saying, you know, I'm overwhelmed or this is unreasonable or, you know, mm-hmm. these are the expectations of me and it's it's just not realistic. But they don't have the you know the confidence or the self-belief to just say no mm-hmm. because they'll think about you know my boss will say oh well you're not working hard enough or you don't care enough and stuff like that so you know there's there's a mindset piece to it but also from a kind of practical side it's really great to have a tool like this where that you can kind of refer back to and say well no look here's the evidence is the proof mm. Kind of like showing you're working out in an exam. Yeah, no, I think that's that's totally accurate. And I think what's important, um, definitely for me, for any method or system that you might prescribe your employees and, you know, insist they, they use, I think to allow user flexibility. So obviously when we're saying um, it's a system that your manager has passed down to you in the past, I think you've probably still added your own spin and your own take on it. And then I have likewise. um, And so have probably other team members that we've passed it on because the system itself is, you know, it's not ridiculously rigorous. It's just a couple of core principles of allocating an amount of time to a task because ultimately we this is what I say to my team all the time we've only got seven and a half hours in a day and so does everyone and it's what you do with it that counts and how you structure it um, and make sure you're not over committing because as you say it's sometimes it's very hard to say no um, but I always make a point of uh, making it almost um, acceptable to say to me can I have a think about it and plan it and come back to you because that to me is a more reasonable response than saying yes straight away because mm. someone who immediately says yes I'm thinking in my head oh you maybe have more time than I thought you did or you're not planning your time properly kind of thing so I think it's more for me it's a more acceptable response to say let me plan it into my day and get back to you. Definitely. And I think the another thing that ties in really nicely to that is that that element of 
asking for help when you need it. A lot of people really struggle to ask for help because they kind of take the weight of the world, the, the responsibility of the success of the company on their shoulders because their manager has asked them to do something. And there's actually a huge strength in pushing back and saying no, or, you know, like you said, asking for a bit of time to think about it and, and make it work. Um, and actually asking for help. So if you have got a lot of work on your plate, asking for some support, somebody else to help you with it or for somebody else to take over it for you. Um, because that it demonstrates to your manager that you can be trusted with the outcome. Mm. It's it goes goes back to that kind of knowing knowing everything and, and being right versus asking for help and getting it right because that's that's what matters. And ultimately when we when we talk about things like progression and promotion and being recognized, it's it's your output, it's the value, it's the contribution, it's the result that matters, not you know, how much time you spend at your laptop. Mm. No, absolutely. And um yeah, I think for me, part of work, um, part of knowing and being in a job at the moment, my ultimate goal has been for a while and still is to become self-employed because I, as a driven individual, I just think that that is the ultimate goal. I'm surrounded by people who work their own businesses and it, it's sort of really inspiring for me and the ultimate flexibility in life to be in charge of your own schedule um that is sort of a in quote air quotes a, an arrived kind of destination if that makes sense mm. uh, if for you becoming self-employed was there a sort of turning point um can you pinpoint exactly when you sort of said right I'm, I'm gonna set out and do this um or was it sort of more sudden and less planned yeah I mean the obvious response is well covid yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so for me, I, I probably had a couple of years ago, like a real personal quarter life crisis, which I kind of alluded to before. And I just had one of those events that makes you stop and, and take, take stock of what's going on and what matters and what's important. And I, you know, I've been through burnout in, in my career. I think it's very common in the events industry. I've been through it a couple of times and, I just thought, oh, do you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. I just want to enjoy life. I want to, you know, look after my health. And I started looking into the wellness industry and thought, well, maybe I'll be a beautician or you know, maybe I'll do this. Maybe I'll go and work with horses because that's my passion and stuff like that. But realistically, what I really loved about my job at the time was working with people and supporting people and helping people. And I thought, well, actually, like my natural skill set really lends itself to this and it's what I really enjoy and and this is my experience and it's what I've worked so hard for so how can I focus more on helping people which is going to give me more of what I want in my career as well and that's where I kind of found coaching and I knew that coaching existed I knew that there were life coaches and I knew that there were executive coaches for c-level um, professionals but coaching for, you know, normal people like you and me, it, it just had never occurred to me before. And where I, so I started studying it. I did one of my, one of my certifications and I thought, yeah, this is really what I love to do. You, you've almost realised your passion, um, which I think a lot of people, uh, you know, I think is admirable and quite desirable. I think certainly I've had times in my life where I think I really don't know what makes me get out of bed in the morning. And I think it's difficult because, as you say, a job takes up so much of your your time, your day, and ultimately your life. So it is really important 
um, to have a job that you want to get out of bed for, essentially, because that is a, a big, big help. The part of my job that I really enjoyed the most was supporting people. And so going down the route of taking a coaching certification really helped me with what I was doing. And where I was at the time managing a team of 16 people and they were global. So a lot of them, um, some of them were in the office, some of them were remote. I really enjoyed supporting them and I got so much out of it and I could see how much of a difference it was making to them having that level of support. But from the position I was in within the company, being employed by the company, there was always an element of responsibility to having the company's best interest at heart. And while the support that you that you give and the work that I do with my clients is ultimately hugely beneficial to the company, I felt a lot, I felt a real draw to solely be working with the benefit of the individual in mind so by moving to a self-employed more independent status it means that I can firstly serve a lot more people but secondly be a completely objective perspective for them so everything obviously that we talk about is confidential and I think it just creates a really safe space for them to really dig in and get as much out of it as possible so um, I'd kind of made the decision that that was the route that I wanted to go down and then um, when the pandemic hit obviously I had a lot more time on my hands I did another certification I looked into kind of you know business models and strategy and stuff like that and then ultimately um, I made the decision to take it full time. Amazing. And I love what you say there about sort of um, an unbiased, being an unbiased party, because you're right, any sort of advice you give within a company, um, it, it may be biased is the wrong word, but you, you say it rightly in the sense that it has to have the company's best interests at heart. So I love you being a sort of unbiased support to people in your coaching role at the moment. And you touched upon the, the coaching industry in general there. And I think for there's probably a bit of mystery surrounding the coaching industry as you say there's kind of different um types different roles life coaches general coaches all kind of sorts around that and before we started recording you also mentioned that you you have a coach can you talk more about that in terms of I'm guessing you're you're just supporting um and being an advocate and almost you mentioned earlier about having a bit not being afraid to ask for help and I guess this is just asking for help in an external kind of context and supporting in the unbiased way that you just talked about can you paraphrase that question <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure there was even a question in there to be honest. this is what I go on I go on like rambles so, um, I'm just not quite sure how to answer <laughs> yeah 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 no I guess I what I'm trying to say is I want to know more about a coach having a coach in that sense mm. so did you always have a coach when you were an, an employee as well or is it just um just since you yourself have started coaching because I think that's really interesting and, and crucial to talk about because I think asking for help within an uh, within a company is good and asking your colleagues to support as well but there's um external support as well be that friends be that a paid coach to kind of help you through stuff um, and situations that you might be experiencing there are a lot of companies that work with external coaches and offer more support um, with a focus on kind of the well-being and the development of their um, of their teams and their employees for me like I said when I was a bit younger and a bit earlier in my career I didn't realize that coaching was a thing if I'd known it was a thing 
would I have thought it was particularly accessible? I don't know. Um, and I think in the kind of coaching bubble that I now operate in if that makes sense so I have like this new world of lots of friends and colleagues and mentors who are coaches as well there there is a coach for everything and you can have um you can do one-off sessions you can buy online courses you can do one-to-one coaching you can do group coaching so when I first started when I decided to go out on my own I joined a um mastermind which is like a group coaching program for six months Um, And that was great because I had the support of the coach, but I also had the support of um, other other people that were in the mastermind with me. So we kind of supported each other, which was an amazing environment. But I think becoming a coach and, and, and experiencing what it's like to be coaching and the results that you can get, the transformation that you can get from it has really opened my eyes. So it kind of supported my transition into the role as a business, but has also supported me in becoming a business owner there's you know a whole lot of mindset work that goes into being an entrepreneur it is terrifying but it's worth it um and I think that's kind of the same when it comes to your career you know it can be scary to take the next step but it's worth it um so yeah for me so I um started with a group mastermind then I worked with a specifically a mindset coach for entrepreneurs for a few months and now I have a one-to-one coach um who is kind of a business strategist consultant and mindset coach as well um so yeah it's, uh, I get so much out of it which constantly reaffirms how much value that I am giving to my clients and I think the thing with coaching as well is that It's not instant gratification, which is very alien in this world that we live in, where, you know, you pay for something, you expect to get something just like that. You know, you invest in something, you buy a new car and you want it right now or whatever it is, everything that we do, you know, you post something on Instagram and then you're checking how many likes you get. That's just the norm for our society at the moment. But the the amazing thing about coaching is that it creates this space for you to actually reflect on things in a much deeper way in a much bigger sense and the 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 tools that you work on the exercises that you do they can give you a quick fix for the immediate problem that you're having right now but actually in six months time when something else happens you can draw on those same tools or you'll notice that your reaction to it is different than it would have been six months ago. It's it's healthier, it's more positive, it it moves you forward rather than kind of keeping you stuck or scared. Mm. No, that's really good. Thanks for explaining that. I think it's it's very clear um that you are you sort of practice what you preach, if that makes yeah. sense. And I think that's really crucial because there's a lot of people, it, it, what you talked about there, instant gratification makes me think of, you know, the kind of superficial society that we have at the moment, because there might be people out there, you know, promoting and coaching and stuff, but it's not actually genuine because maybe they themselves haven't been through the experiences and stuff like that. So I love that you're a coach with a coach. I think that's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, I probably will always have a coach. Mm. And I, I think that might, come across as though you know it creates a dependency but that's absolutely not the case but it's one of those things you know when you level up you upgrade your life like you were saying earlier about this is your your system upgrade and 
there's always more to learn. There's always more work to do. There's always new challenges in life. So it's not a case of, you know, well, if you start doing that, then you'll lean on them and you won't be able to quit. Not at all. Um, in fact, my um, my signature program is a 12-week program where we kind of, you know, it starts off quite intense. We have weekly sessions and then towards the end, it's, it's fortnightly sessions and it just gives you a chance to implement things in between and, and kind of check in. But a lot of my clients do end up re-signing in one way or another, or they'll come back six months later for kind of a check-in, or we'll do a quarterly power hour because, you know, life is always changing and we are always changing, growing, evolving. And just having somebody there for you, like a cheerleader in your corner, somebody that is objective, like we talked about, whether it's, you know, to do with your boss or your friend or, you know, a decision that you want to make, is just really empowering. No, definitely. I completely see the truth in that. And then one of the other things that you wanted to to talk about was um, something that you're seeing regularly, I guess, across clients. And that is the the topic of sort of being able to speak up in meetings, having the confidence to provide opinions in, in group sessions. Do you want to talk a little bit more about what, what kind of issues your, your clients and, are experiencing? Yeah, absolutely. This is such a huge thing. And I think it's possibly worse at the moment because everything is virtual and you know the technicality of interrupting somebody on zoom is is really difficult and um so there's a couple of themes that kind of come out with with my clients at the moment and one of those is um she's she's in a leadership team and you know the the guy that heads up the the team is not easy to work with um, and she is going to these meetings feeling really uncomfortable like she's actually getting out of them when she can she's stopped contributing her ideas because she thinks that you know nobody cares you know she's the only woman she's younger than everybody else and all of these things are really contributing to her just feeling like she doesn't have a voice um, which has been really difficult for her. And so one of the things I've been working on with her is really kind of understanding what what that's making her feel and where that's rooting from and really building up her confidence in herself so that actually the actions of other people don't, you know, don't literally affect her as much so she can get the ideas across. Because as we were saying before, you know, the the result is what matters. What you contribute is what matters. It doesn't matter what people think about you or how you feel about it. The 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 goal and the mission is still the same. Mm. And then the other um, one of my other clients at the moment is struggling with uh, speaking up in meetings because she has a perception that everyone else around the table is more intelligent than her. So she is in a very safe environment full of lovely people that she can have nice conversations with but when she gets into the meeting she has this kind of imposter syndrome where she thinks oh my god how did I get here why did they give me this job somebody is going to realize any minute that I can't do this um so that's been a really interesting um journey with her as well and we've just kind of really dug into where that comes from and you know how can she trial contributing without kind of putting herself on a ledge if that makes sense mm. so how can she make a suggestion without fearing that everyone's going to laugh at her <laughs> <laughs> no I can definitely relate to both of those and I yeah the online meetings it changes the dynamic so much because I, I often feel self-conscious when I'm contributing as well because 
almost when you unmute, you know, if you're on Zoom and someone's in the, the speaker view, then your face comes up big on the screen. I'm thinking about that in my head that I'm showing currently on everyone's laptops because the attention is, is it almost, you're in a spotlight um, because you're not in the room. It's not kind of diffused. No one can talk over anyone virtually. So it, yeah. it gives you that sort of front attention. And I'm a, a big advocate of sort of public speaking, any kind of speaking in front of an audience. And I really sort of advise my team to do it as much as they can, because the only thing that might help is exposure, Um, you know, just starting with, you know, a few little contributions, almost like um, phasing yourself in. But I think virtually it, it is really difficult for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Practice, practice, practice. And I think, you know, you've... Um, you've obviously got experience with Toastmasters. So is there anything that kind of you've drawn from that that's helped you with with your scenario? I definitely just think confidence in general. Um, I mean, I, Toastmasters is kind of like a, a, someone again sort of gave me a good description of it recently, despite, you know, being part of it for three years or so. But it's, it's like a safe trial environment. So if you're expecting, you know, to do, to do a kind of big pitch or just want to work on general speaking skills, you're in a room of people that are also trying to work on their speaking skills. So it kind of feels safer, um, even though it's still quite intimidating to speak in front of any audience, certainly for me. Um, but I guess it, it, for me, it's taking comfort in the fact that the people in that room are here to improve themselves and kind of want to see me and themselves succeed. So they're only going to say what they're saying to to help me in that sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think you know, you really hit the nail on the head there about it being a safe space. And I think a lot of um, people at the moment when they when they struggle to speak up in meetings, it's because they don't feel safe to do so. Mm. So, I mean, when, when I work with clients, we obviously dig into, you know, the underlying beliefs and, and experiences and memories and emotions that contribute to you not feeling safe. But the reality is that there is an external environment that you're in so it's important to think about tools and strategies to make that feel safer than it does right now. Mm. So I think, like you said, you know, practice, practice, practice. The more evidence you can build for your brain to hold on to, like our brain has this negative bias. So if you if you contributed a meeting 10 times and nine times out of 10, everyone was like, oh, yeah, Alistair, that was a great idea. Thanks for that. And then one time somebody was like, yeah okay <laughs> your brain yes. would only remember that one time when yes, someone said so true. shut you down and I think one thing that our, our business development manager as well obviously she stands in front of clients and does pitches quite a lot something that she taught me which I love is like try and um, give yourself like an advocate so if it's a, a virtual meeting try and message your idea to someone um, from the meeting in advance and just sound them out and if you know they go great then just be like cool when I announce that in the meeting do you mind just you know voicing that you think it's great and that almost gives you the the affirmation to to proceed and and think you did good and another thing that she said as well when she does um like Q&A panel discussions she has a colleague sit in the audience and ask one of the questions so it's like a friendly face to start it off you know that you've got someone in the audience who's wanting you to succeed and willing you to do well kind of thing which I thought was really good oh my god yes genius both of those are amazing having a mole in the audience mm, that's is, a good phrase yes absolutely it's it's a 
the oldest trick in the book actually but again and this it comes back to you know we start in our career people don't tell you these things yes <laughs> but yeah I mean if you're if you're presenting in a room having a friend or a colleague in the audience with a question that you've come up with as well is really really empowering because you already know firstly it's not going to be crickets when you open the floor mm-hmm. and secondly that you're going to know the answer so it's not like the first question is going to make you absolutely stumble so that's really important definitely and I think a lot of people get caught up maybe not so much for Q&A because obviously that is you know very spontaneous and off the cuff there's only so much you can prepare for in, in that element but when they have like a presentation or a speech to um, remember I think people get caught up in in the sort of the remembering it word for word and rehearsing it and making sure that they can remember everything that they've written down and a new thing that uh, or a new concept that someone has shown me recently in a Toastmasters session instead of remembering sort of the script um what you should do is plan a storyboard of it so obviously most sort of sessions are taking people on a journey talking about a story um with an ultimate sort of learning um at the end and conclusion in so sort of write out the content that you want to write but then allocate a picture kind of storyboard to that because you know nine images is a lot easier to remember in your head and to keep you flowing rather than remembering nine paragraphs and as long as you know the gist of what you're talking about um because it's probably going to be something from your memory or experience anyway um then it will come across a lot more natural which i've i've experienced recently i've done that sort of storyboard method and it did help me a lot that's brilliant yeah i love that i think it's um that's a really great way for someone who is like a visual learner Mm. to remember something and the thing is you know there's there's three different ways that our brains kind of process things and remember things there's visual auditory and kinesthetic so for something like that would work really well for somebody who likes to kind of attach pictures and images to memories and things like that is really really helpful I think it's important you know not everybody listening will resonate with that. A lot of people will, I'm sure, and, and it would work for a lot of people regardless of kind of your tendency. But finding what works for you is the best advice that I can give anybody. And that goes for, you know, preparing for a presentation or the way that you work or your routine. Like it applies to everything, but just remembering that everybody is different and finding what works for you it's okay if it's not the same for everybody else. Yeah, definitely. Actually, that's a really good point as well, because maybe as a a speaker, if it is kind of a a formal speech you're doing or presentation, you maybe have to flip that in reverse as well in terms of your content, thinking about the different learning styles. So including some visuals, but also some writing and for kinesthetic, you know, activities, things like that. And, you know, that probably sounds quite basic to talk about, as most people know, to do things to sort of spice up their presentations. But I think thinking of it of different learning styles and trying to speak to different people within the same content I think that's really interesting yeah definitely and it you know it goes it goes wider even than um you know um reading writing listening um exercises things like that is even even when you're talking to somebody when you you know you can draw you can paint a picture for them to think about as you're talking or you can use buzzwords like people love a buzzword they make associations with it or you know, thinking about something that affects the senses, like 
using a lemon is a really good one if you if you talk to somebody about you know imagine a lemon in your hand like what does it feel like in your hand or if you cut it open what does it smell like or if you got something in your tongue what would it taste like and just kind of making attachments to things like that really triggers memories as well because mm. even as you're saying that I'm doing it I'm picturing <laughs> a sour smell sour taste yeah it's it's insane our minds really what they can do oh they're amazing <laughs> <laughs> and I think talking of confidence as well because um something I really admire about your your business and your social media present is all of the kind of reels and videos that you're doing on your social media platform so clearly you have the confidence to do that was that kind of um an instant kind of ability have you had to build yourself up to doing that kind of content um I would say before I'd ever done my first ever video or live or anything like that I was still very much in the mindset of like oh no I couldn't possibly um and one of the things my coach said to me at the time was she asked me to call out who I was worried about judging me and so, you know, she said to me, you know, what, what are you worried about? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I think people will, will think that I look silly or, you know, I, I worry what people will think. And she was like, yes, but who? And I was like, oh, well, you know, well, you know, this, this one particular person, what if this one particular person stumbles across my Instagram page and thinks, oh my God, what an idiot. And she was like, okay, what does it matter if that person thinks that? And I was like, well, you know, it, it wasn't a, it wasn't a close friend. It wasn't a family member. It wasn't, you know, somebody that I worked with. It was just some, somebody, an acquaintance, somebody that I wasn't really close with. She was like, what does it matter? And I was like, oh, I guess it doesn't. <laughs> she sounds like she was backing you into a corner. <laughs> but it's like laid out like that. It does sound so silly. Like I'm sitting here quite smiling to myself, but I'm I'm no exception to that. I'm I'm the same as you in terms of oh people will judge me. I I love that sort of refining process of really getting down into it um, because it it's uh, they people say about oh you know what's holding you back is just the story you're telling yourself and I think that is really true to some degree. Yeah, definitely. And that, the other thing to remember is it's not going to be people that are close to you. Your friends are not going to laugh at you. Your family are not going to think that you're stupid. Like your partner is not going to be embarrassed of you because they love and support you. So the people that you're worried about are, you know, the remaining category is your audience and your audience. I mean, this obviously goes for me being an entrepreneur and, and being kind of in the public eye as it were. Um, but my audience is comprised of people that need to hear my message and people that don't and they can unfollow me. But it's more important that the people that need the support that I can give them get that than me worrying about what some other people might think about me. It's it's about kind of connecting with the the higher vision, the mission, the purpose of why I'm doing what I'm doing. And if I was going to let an Instagram reel hold me back from that, then I would be letting a lot of people down. Mm, love that. That's a really nice way of rationalising and balancing it out. Thank you. And something you mentioned earlier as well in, in sort of a, a conversation was imposter syndrome. And again, when you, you say earlier about buzzwords, I think this is definitely a buzz phrase at the mm. moment. Um, because a lot, especially with working from home, this sort of resides with me because I'm just sort of sitting here at my you know desk, cracking on with my day job, but really no one knows exactly what I'm doing. Um, and my colleagues almost can't see me. So I think a lot of people almost doubt themselves because they are having 
more free reign of their workday perhaps than they they would in an office so is that something that you're coming across and what would be your kind of advice for that kind of situation I just think it's such an opportunity and and people seem to have kind of split into two paths on this there are people who have really reconnected with what matters and there are people who have gone into panic mode and started spending every waking minute at their laptop like moving the mouse making sure that they look active on Skype and and answering emails at, at any time of the night um but my advice would really be to take the first path like reconnect with what is important this is your opportunity to show your value while nobody's looking at what you're doing day to day so when you do go back to the office you know that you know if you've only done four hours worth of work today but it was four hours worth of you know producing something important focusing on something making headway with something you know needle moving action we like to call it and you did that all in four hours, you know that you don't need to be spending 12 hours available every day on your emails, on your on your Skype, like talking to people. So much of our working day, especially in the office, is filled up with interruptions and people walking past and just saying, oh, hey, how, how was your weekend? Or, oh, have you got two minutes? Or could you just? And I feel like I this... not miss that. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Either. But this is such an opportunity to get rid of all of that kind of shallow, busy work mm -hmm. that is purely on your plate because you are so visible. Like, take the opportunity to go and hide away and get some really important work done. And if you're worried that your boss is going to, you know, favour somebody else because they reply to their email at 11 o'clock at night, then, you know, take some time to speak to your boss. Not about that specifically, but during the working day, take some time to have a meaningful conversation with them, convey how much work you're getting done, show them what value you're bringing so that they don't make the association with you not being visible and you not getting work done, because that's not what it's about. Mm, definitely I think ultimately just communication is key and that's not you know sort of shouting about what you're doing but it's sort of modestly you know talking about projects at team meetings or as you say sort of choosing to update your boss um on sort of the status of things um and I think it, it's really interesting because when you talk about interruptions and people walking past your desk and I, as I said I really don't miss that what's replaced it is you know like Microsoft Teams Skype all of these kind of chat messenger things and something that I talk about with my team is, you know, as soon as they get one of those, even if they're in the middle of, you know, writing something important, like a, an invitation to the events that we do, they'll pause and go to answer that message. And I'm like, that's already, you know, 20 minutes or so added to your task because you've taken yourself out of what you're doing. You've you've stopped your concentration and you've moved to, to something else to answer them instantly. And then you've moved back to the task and you've lost time because you've had to you pick up where you left off. Um, so I tried to, to, you know, talk to them about, you know, that don't feel the pressure to reply instantly. Of course, reply. Um, but, you know, in your own time, if you're in the middle of an important task, there's no harm in leaving that message um, and getting back to them later. And even if the time you're addressing the message, if it is a task and you've still got other tasks that are, you know, more important and 
need doing sooner, there's no harm in just getting back to that person and being like, cool, well, I'll get in touch with you by the end of the day with that. It's gone on my to-do list, kind of just acknowledging it rather than, what is it? They say acting rather than reacting or, or something along those lines. Mm, yeah, definitely. That makes sense. I think distraction is so dangerous for exactly the reason that you just mentioned like as soon as you switch your focus from one thing to another you then need time to get your head into what you're now doing do it then switch back and get your head back into what you were doing before and it wastes so much time and I think something that people often kind of overlook is that if you were in a meeting and somebody sent you an email or an instant message I mean unless you're in the meeting with your with your laptop and checking your emails, which means you're not really paying attention to the meeting. That's a conversation for another day. <laughs> um, if you were in a meeting, you wouldn't be able to reply immediately. If you were on your lunch break, you wouldn't be able to reply immediately. And I think there's, it's this instant gratification thing. Again, mm -hmm. people send an, send an email or send a message and they expect a response immediately. And actually what, I mean, what's gonna happen if they don't get a response immediately? Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's a really good link back to the start of this kind of instant culture. You know, you order something on Amazon and it comes the same day. We, you know, we're just programmed to get everything that we want ASAP. And yeah, there's some rewiring that needs doing. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and something um, we picked up on, and again, on a sort of previous conversation before we started recording was about um, knowing when things are good enough. So linking to your initial definition of perfection um, about sort of everyone experiencing different things um, and if it's something more linear like a test then aiming for perfection and achieving perfection is an actual thing um, but this concept of sort of when things are good enough is it essentially you teaching people to draw a line in the sand when they've reached sort of um, the minimum viable product would you say? I think even the way that you said that is part of the problem. And I don't mean that. <laughs> Go on, call me out, call me out. <laughs> it's all right, always learning, always learning. Um, I think, you know, when I mentioned this topic to you a while ago, there is a negative connotation with the concept of good enough. And I think in that in itself is a problem because it, it negates the literal term so if something is good enough it's good enough mm. right it's good enough it's enough but when you say I just need to make it good enough mm. it completely changes what that means and good enough becomes the bare minimum or I can't remember what you just said like minimal mm, yeah Viable minimum product. viable product yeah. yeah no you're you're completely right both of those sound like they have negative connotations for sure yeah and I don't I mean I don't necessarily have an answer or this isn't a teaching but I thought it would be a really great conversation to kind of open up because I think it's really interesting you know where has where has this come from when did we decide that good enough wasn't good enough mm, yeah no it's almost like we I think I talked about this on another episode I can't remember the word that we were debating um but it's like things have almost migrated away from their meanings and their dictionary definitions um yeah, yeah and I it would be really interesting to pinpoint a time I, I mean I think if I say to 
to someone that it, you know it's good enough that means you know sort of meets my expectations and it will will do the purpose um mm-hmm. I think I I really strive for honesty in the fact of if there is some feedback to be given of you know something that that could be changed or tweaked then I'd like to say that I'd give that rather than passive aggressively aggressively being like oh it's good enough do you yeah. know what I mean it comes from that yeah. passive aggressive kind of society I feel mm. in the sorts of you know, you're, there's things unsaid, what you're saying doesn't actually match up with your attitudes. And I, but yeah. I think in business that there is a fear of honesty sometimes. Yeah. Go on. And, well, ultimately, um, I, if someone, this is the thing, if someone asks my opinion, I will give them my honest opinion. And sometimes that makes people unhappy, which I find just very strange because you've asked for my opinion and I've I've been honest and mm. linking back to the speaking up in meetings thing um, I think possibly through Toastmasters I've gained quite a lot of confidence in the sense that I'm I'm quite happy to unmute myself and and give my opinion but sometimes it almost becomes that I'm I'm standing out for the wrong reasons in that front because as soon as and, and I'm not saying this happens but this is my sort of image in my head as soon as I unmute, everyone ro- uh, unmute. Sorry, everyone rolls their eyes and goes, "Oh, here we go." Alistair's got an opinion, and I don't want to water down my opinion from giving it <laughs> so many times. Talking, going back to um, my experience of you know starting to do reels and stuff like that on Instagram and connecting with the purpose, the mission, the the result that I'm going for over what people might think. How do you think that that could apply in your situation I think I could probably unmute less often <laughs> <laughs> because I mean as, as I say I'm I'm very opinionated and I will completely hands down admit that and I think um my sort of filter now is you know how passionately do I actually feel about this and am I just sort of giving my opinion um because I I want to um mm. even if it's kind of asked for and I kind of think of the you know, what is it going to cost me um, in terms of if this decision is passed and I'm not happy with it? You know, is it going to affect my day to day life and, and work job? If it does, then perhaps I'll be more inclined to open up and give my decision. But I guess sometimes I, I risk being the voice of the people, even if it doesn't affect me, I'll, you know, stand up and defend them kind of thing, um, which is not something I want to get into the habit of, because I really what I'm trying to do is inspire people to be their own voice. That's powerful. <laughs> is it? I think I just sound arrogant. <laughs> no, but I think, you know, you're reflecting on why you're doing what you're doing. And I think that's what our society needs a lot more of. I think that is where true confidence comes from. When you really understand that your actions or your words or your unmuting is coming from a place <laughs> of purpose like when you're being intentional the result is more likely to be what you want it to be and whether people roll their eyes or not or whether people think oh here he is again unmute (laughs) mr unmute (laughs) here he comes it matters less because you know that there's a good reason for you doing that Mm. And I think, like you say, there's this, I definitely have a negativity bias because I always weigh up the things that go wrong versus the things that go right. So that probably is, you know, partially why or or where I'm coming from on this front as well. Yeah. And I wonder how many times you contribute in those conversations. And this is, it comes back to things being difficult 
on Zoom and stuff like that as well, because you don't know what people are reacting. You're assuming that they're rolling their eyes, but actually mm. they might all be sat at their laptops, like giving you a round of applause or saying, oh, my God, I love that. <laughs> yes. we'll just never know. And I think this is another crucial concept is that one, we can't control other people's reactions, but two, we don't, we're not in their shoes. We don't know what they're thinking. We're making assumptions and that making assumptions is dangerous. Makes an ass out of you and me. Mm. <laughs> yeah and we used to say at md assumption is the mother of all fuck-ups right is yeah you know it's it's so true but it is I, yeah i don't know we're just in, inclined to assume and and make a story up aren't we without knowing the the full kind of picture and background but ultimately i think just zoom and online meetings are so hard in general because I do think that there's so much value in in reading a room and being understand, you know, able to understand from people's body language how they're feeling about about certain things. And I mean, yeah, as event planners, we you can probably tell the audience can tell our stance on this, but we're looking forward to face to face meetings again. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no, I think you're totally right, and I think there's you know another element another tool perhaps um that people can use if they are feeling uncomfortable or not quite confident to be speaking up in meetings especially online meetings or on zoom is to actually just choose to and it comes back to being intentional again choose to in like fully immerse yourself in the conversation that's happening like just take yourself out of the equation I'm not going to contribute but I want to take in everyone's opinion and that's another way that you can really read the room and then, you know, time is not over. You can follow up afterwards. You can collate all the information that you got and, and sit with it and think about what you would like to contribute or if there's anything different that you would like to add. And then you can pass it on afterwards and keep the conversation going. I think that's it's important for people to know that there are more options than what is in front of them on the table at that moment. Mm, definitely. And I'm a big advocate and of trying not to, to give knee jerk reactions, because as soon as you hear something, obviously, you're forming an opinion of that. And it might not always be the most rational opinion. Definitely. I think especially for people who are led with emotion, it's important to ride that wave and just stick with it. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, res respond, don't react. Yes. Yeah, that, that is the phrase, definitely. And um Oh no, it was about Zoom. Oh yes, that's what I was going to say. Um, and it's important as well, because again, with it being online, I think there's this culture or assumption that you can do work in the background and, you know, sort of half listen in. And I think that if you are doing that, then it, it is, you know, sort of shaky grounds, if you like, to be contributing, because as you say, you're not fully immersed in that conversation. So you may just pick something up and sort of take that down the wrong kind of assumption. Um, and by unmuting, you might sort of cause um, a commotion, if you like. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, when we're talking about being busy and having a lot on your plate or being visible and, um, you know, perhaps even working less in the day, but being more intentional with what you're doing and doing deeper work, you know, if you're on a meeting, commit to that meeting. And it's so much less stressful when mm. you stop trying to multitask like just focus on one thing at a time give it everything get everything you can out of it and then move on yes definitely I love that about it's about commitment my dad taught me um from a very young age about commitment and meeting your commitments so I love that that really resides with me good 
Wonderful. And then to sort of um, round us off and, and bring things to a close, what would your kind of ultimate advice be to someone who is perhaps listening to this um, and what we're saying really resonates with them in terms of perhaps they're not feeling fulfilled in their career um, and might be looking to either change or sort of progress through the ranks? So I think the main piece of advice that I would give anybody for pretty much any career decision that they're making is to think about what's important. And I mean that in two ways. The first is what's important to you, what matters to you, what lights you up, what makes you happy, what makes you feel fulfilled. Is there an element of your job that you love and an element that you'd like to get rid of? And just really follow your own path. Don't fall into the trap of, you know, treading the path that others have gone before you. Don't go for a promotion up from where you are just because that's the next thing in line. Like think about what you're going to get out of that and if that's really what you want. Because if, you, if you're not fulfilled now, you need to know that you're going to be getting more that will fulfill you from the next step. And then the second, the second element to it is really think about what's important to the cause. So like I was talking about before, focusing on, you know, deep, meaningful work rather than being visible and being busy. So if you're looking to get promoted, don't fill your time with, you know, answering emails and letting yourself be interrupted and getting distracted. Think about what's going to get that promotion, what is going to move the needle or what is a step in the right direction or what opportunities could you take that align with where you want to go. Love that. I think, yeah, it's so apt because I think so many people sort of progress through their life um, in automatic sort of when they should be driving in manual kind of thing, because there's, you know, societal pressures, you know, not only around work, but about life, you know, to be married by 30, to move into a house. There are, you know, different paths if people want to take that that are um, somewhat less walked um, and, you know, that doesn't make them any less acceptable. Absolutely. Well, Charlie, talk us through um, the least perfect thing you think you've ever experienced or done. <laughs> oh, I was waiting for this question. <laughs> it's a fan favourite. <laughs> <laughs> so the least perfect thing that I have done in my career was when I took over this global team of 16 and it was such a big step up for me and I was so excited about it and I knew that I'd be amazing at it. But I went in with the wrong mindset. I went in with, I need to know everything. I need to know more than all of them. And I need to teach them and I need to share with them. Whereas I should have gone in with, this is new. You're all different. We're going to figure this out together. And what I did was I changed processes and I taught them you know the time management tool that I used with you and I sent them emails that I thought were perfect I sent them really long emails saying you know this is what we're changing this is why we're changing it this is what it means this is what you need to do ask me if you've got any questions because that's how I like to receive information but it didn't go down very well and people just weren't complying and I found it really really difficult and really frustrating and this this role that I was taking on and this new exciting opportunity to lead this team and, and build relationships with them, it just wasn't working and I couldn't work out why. But I 
kept pushing for feedback. And this is where I feel like the imperfect became the perfect in a really nicely messy, imperfect way. I kept pushing for feedback. I was saying, why aren't you guys doing this? Why don't you like this? And and it relates back to when you were saying, you know, find an advocate to to sound your ideas out. And I would speak to one person in the team that I, I had quite an honest relationship with. And I'd say, why aren't people listening to me? And they was at one point they were like, they're scared of you, Charlie. And I was like, oh my God, what have I done? What have I become? But I kept pushing, I kept asking for feedback. And it taught me so much just by actually checking my ego and listening to other people and taking the time to understand how it was how what I was doing was landing because really like the intention is irrelevant if it doesn't land the right way with people um so yeah I took on the feedback and I just opened my mind to learn and accept that I wasn't you know all knowing Mm. um and yeah, and it, it really completely transformed the relationships I had with them, the results that they were getting. It was more collaborative. It was so much more fun to work with them. And it made me a much better manager and probably a much better person. But I think tying it into kind of my original definition of perfection, I gave it 100%. And I experienced the highs, I experienced the lows. And I got so much out of it that ultimately... I went into something with a really imperfect approach and it worked out perfectly. Mm, amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing. I think everyone can take so much away from that. The The key thing there that resides with me is something that I'm also a big advocate of, of as well. I always say to to anyone, you know, my team, um, people that are at the same level to me, people that are above me, that I am open to feedback. And I always mean it genuinely because I'm, I'm a person who wants to constantly improve. And if people don't think that, you know, I'm going in the right direction for them, then how would I know apart from them, them telling me? And I encourage other people to do it as well. You know, after sort of client kickoff calls, um, pitches, I always want to know what the the team thought and how we can improve things. And, you know, it's not a, it's not a criticism thing. It is a very much of, you know, um, this is how things went, but how can we improve that for next time? Yeah, that's amazing. I think that's quite a good, like takeaway piece as well. You know, growth isn't optional. We are always growing every day is a school day. We're always learning. Every experience teaches us something new. So you can either, you know, reject it, push it away and say, no, I'm fine as I am. Or you can get on board with it and go with it and enjoy it. Definitely. Get with the program, as they right. say. <laughs> <laughs> and um, to, on the opposite side of things, then, what do you feel is the the most perfect thing you've achieved, done or experienced? I, I've re- I struggle with this one, to be honest, because I really don't think that perfection exists in the human experience. I'll give you an example one um like a few months ago I I started looking into um like the moon cycles and new moon rituals and full moon rituals and stuff like that and I wanted to do a full moon ritual and do a real kind of forgiveness and releasing and I went down to the beach when it was dark and the moon was out and I'd written all my letters on a piece of paper and I wanted to burn them into the wind and it was going to be absolutely magical and perfect and um my boyfriend came down with me and the dog and I just wanted to sit on the beach with my eyes closed and my legs crossed and burn this letter and it would be perfect. And 
the wind was blowing and I couldn't get the paper to lie and then the dog was freaked out because there were fireworks going on in the background and my boyfriend was hustling around and he was trying to distract her and he was going shh, shh and like dragging her away and it was so distracting and I was I could feel myself getting really wound up and thinking this was supposed to be perfect <laughs> and then I just thought how lucky am I that I have a boyfriend who is that dedicated to this you know crazy spiritual journey that I've decided to go on that not only is he letting me do it do it without judgment he's coming with me and he's trying his best to make it perfect for me like it's not doing very well it's very distracting but how lucky am I and how much more important is that than doing this ritual in complete silence with no distractions and I just thought this is perfect Brilliant. I think that puts things into perfect perspective. Good. (laughs) (laughs) And I think when Rob listens to this, he will really reside because that sounds like an evening with me (laughs) where I'm like expecting things to go in a certain way and he's doing his best. Oh my God, that's honestly, that's me down to a T. I'm like, no, I've, I've planned our weekend. We're going to do this at this time and that at that time. And then we're going to eat this and then we're going to watch that. And then we're going to go here. And then, you know, Greg gets back on the weekend and, and he's like, oh, well, I thought we might do this. And it takes all of my willpower not to go, no, that's not what I envisioned. <laughs> it's the event planner. It's what the event industry has done know, to us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, yeah, I mean, gratitude is such a huge huge thing and by being able to recognize what you do have it really eases the pain of needing that control for things to be perfect absolutely that's wonderful and um if people you know have liked what they've listened to today and want to follow your journey or get in touch with yourself charlie how can they do that So you can find all the information about myself, my journey, my programs, my services on my website, which is www.charlottecrabtree.com. I'm also on LinkedIn and Instagram. Quick editing note from me here. Charlie actually has a new Instagram handle. So that's at Career Talk with Charlotte if you want to follow her on Instagram. And I have a uh, freebie at the moment, which people can download called Five Confidence Hacks to Crush Your Next Meeting. So if you do struggle with speaking up in meetings or even attending meetings or just kind of showing up and contributing in your role at work, this is a perfect download. And the link to that is on all of my platforms too. Amazing. Thank you. And I'll um, I'll link all of those in the show notes as well for people to access. That's great. Um, well, just the last thing to say is thank you so much, Charlie. You've been an absolute amazing guest with some profound insights. So thank you so much for your time. This has been an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. Excellent. Not a problem at all. Thank you so much for listening, fellow imperfectionist. I hope you enjoyed the episode and I hope it has inspired you to get closer to your true purpose in life. If you have a question, thoughts on this episode or suggestions of topics or even future guests, I would love to hear from you. Visit pickingupperfection.com slash participate. You can also follow me on my socials, Instagram, LinkedIn, and even contact me via email. Links for all of this are in the show notes. See you next time.